Well, good morning, and welcome to this gathering of Hope Bible Fellowship. I want to wish you each a happy Reformation Day. Now, you may be asking yourself, I thought today was Halloween. Yes, yes it is. But on this day, uh, October 31st in 1517, so 504 years ago, there was a young Catholic monk named Martin Luther. You may have heard of him. And uh, he had had some experience with God, and uh, he had a list of uh, issues he had, protests, if you will, uh, against the Catholic Church, and he wanted to see the Catholic Church reformed. So he took those, he wrote them down, and he nailed them on the church door. Now, I wanted to help you understand, because some people don't, like, they're not really into church history or history at all, uh, or they're, they're, they're just, they don't know what that is or whatever. And so I wanted to get an esteemed theologian and church historian to tell you and explain to you what Reformation Day was about. And so I've got that uh, esteemed theologian on the screen, if you'll just pay attention to this video for a couple of minutes. She will need sound, though. Going to heaven. They said. Might, might want to start it over. The only way you and can go to up. heaven is to, is to get and pay money to the church and be a good person. But but Martin Luther heard that and he went yeah, and read the Bible and he said, Wait, that church, what I'm not going to make much sense because it's a four year old. So. Martin Luther took a, 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 a oh, hold on. In the Bible, where was Martin Luther reading in the Bible? Do you remember what specifically he was reading in the Bible? The book of? Romans. Romans. And do you remember? It was cuter when I planned Happy Reformation Day. I'm going to teach you about the Bible and Reformation. I mean, heaven. So, whenever... There was this. There are lots of churches that are teaching the wrong thing about going to heaven. They said the only way you could go to heaven is to is to get and pay money to the church and be a good person. But but Martin Luther heard that, and he went at the Bible and he said, "Wait, that church." What I've been told is teaching the wrong thing. So, Martin Luther uh, took a, a pen. Oh, hold on. In the Bible, where was Martin Luther reading in the Bible? Do you remember what specifically he was reading in the Bible? The book of? Romans. Romans. And do you remember what Romans said? Romans said, mm, mm, the only way you can go to heaven is to be saved from Jesus. Saved by Jesus, and there was there were by Christ alone, faith alone, and grace alone. Okay, so by Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. Then what did Martin Luther do? And then Martin Luther took a hammer and a nail and a piece of paper and a mark. Then he wrote uh, with a piece of paper and a mark. He wrote all of the things with the uh, on the truth on the piece of paper. Okay. Right the mark. Yep. Then, with the hammer and the nail, he went to one of the churches and, 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 and took the hammer and the nail and nailed that piece of paper onto, one of the, onto the door. Okay. And then what happened? Uh, How did the church respond? The, the church didn't like it, but then, in uh, this day, uh, uh, this, this time in this world, the church is teaching what the Bible says. So when we go to church on Sunday, what do we hear? The Bible. Uh -huh, and what does that mean? How do we get to go to heaven? The only way you can go to heaven is to be saved by Jesus. To be saved by Jesus. Very and, good. And at the cross, Jesus put his faith in our hearts and put our black hearts in his heart. 
And then? And then we have we have a, we washed we washed whiter than snow. That's right, Ella. And are we reconciled to God? Yeah. Is that what it means to celebrate the Reformation Day? Yes. Is it the best news in the whole yes. world? Yes. 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 Thank you so much. And how old are you, Ella? Four. You're four years old. Thank you, honey. My birthday is on July twenty seventh. Princess birthday. Bye. Bye. Thank you, L. Thank you, Ella. Uh, anyway, uh, I found that video. I thought it was really good. I was looking for short Reformation Day videos. I found that one. That's actually eight years old, so that means she's Asher's age. So I've already been talking with her parents about a dowry, and uh, I'm just kidding. But anyway, hey, uh, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be with you and open the Word of God with you this morning. I'm glad that you're with us or joining us online. You know, um, the, the sermon's not about Reformation Day, but without that having happened, uh, we wouldn't be here today uh, because that actually kick-started a movement that became the, the split of from Catholicism and the Protestant movement. Uh, and so us sitting here in a non-denominational church uh, preaching the gospel doesn't happen uh, without that. And so I thought that was, that's really important just to remember that um, this morning. And uh, a friend of mine, um, his wife really... Uh, he was pastoring a church. His wife really knew he liked to celebrate Reformation Day and Martin Luther nailing those 95 theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, which, by the way, back then was like their bulletin board, like a public bulletin board like we have at a gas station. Uh, theirs was the church door. I'm glad that's not still the same. Uh, but anyway, uh, so she took uh, 95 Reese's peanut butter cups and nailed them to his office door. Well, she didn't nail them. I think she taped them. But anyway, I thought that was funny. Uh, anyway, hey, go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians 1. That's enough about that. Uh, because you didn't come here to hear me talk about church history. Probably you came here to hear the Bible preached. So Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 9 through 11. That's where we're going to be camped out. If you would like to take notes on a prepared outline, we do have the interactive notes available again. We've got a QR code you can scan with your phone. It's on the screens right now. And that'll take you to the notes section where you can follow along. Uh, you could also, <clears throat> also has a, a link to the Bible in there as well, so you can follow along on the scripture. You can fill in uh, your notes on there as well. And then at the end, you can type in your email address. It'll send you a PDF copy of your notes so you can keep those. So last week, we looked at the way that the Apostle Paul greeted the church in Philippi, and uh, we talked about this special love he had for them. And uh, and. You know, it's, it, ironically, it was just, you know, you guys had me up and celebrating pastor appreciation, and, and there's not a church appreciation month, but I just express my appreciation to you guys who make this job a joy for me. Uh, this ministry, not really a job, but a ministry is a joy for me uh, to serve you all. And so uh, hearing Paul go on about the special love he had for this church in Philippi, I kind of, I can identify with that a little bit. They were not only friends, but they were partners in the gospel. And I mentioned last week that the church in Philippi was started when, when a woman named Lydia came to believe the gospel, and then it expanded from there. And Paul's joy and affection were on full display in his greeting to this church, which is the first part of the letter that we studied last week. He was passionate in his joy, passionate in his affection, and it drove him to prayer for them. So his love for them, his affection for them, the joy he found in their partnership in the gospel actually drove him to prayer. He showed his love for them partially by praying for them even while he was in jail. He could have asked for anything from them or told them anything, but here we see his love expressed by taking them before the throne of God in prayer. He couldn't go to them, he was in jail. So he expresses his love for them by taking them before God in prayer. Friends, that, <laughs> oh, that our love for one another would cause us to drop to our knees and pray for the good of our brothers and sisters. But let's read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. A shorter passage today, but beginning in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness 
that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help. I need your help. God, I confess that that this is all about you. And Jesus, if it's just me standing up here saying words, that's not sufficient. I need you to move through the hearts of your people. I need you to speak through your word to your people, God. Help us to take you at your word, that when we hear something, even if it's hard, even if we don't fully understand it, but to believe it, to take you at your word and to grasp the goodness of who you are, Jesus. I pray that you would cause me and any pride in me to decrease. That you would speak clearly, God, that this, you would increase here, that you'd be big here, Jesus. This is about you and it's for you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. So as we're reading this, there's something that almost escaped me when I started thinking about it, and it's the first main point in your outline there, and that's just this. Paul believes prayer works. Paul believes, Paul believed that prayer worked. Here we find Paul praying for the Christians in Philippi. Well, he obviously believes prayer works or he wouldn't have prayed for them, right? So Paul believes prayer works. He prays for these things. Because he believes that God answers the prayers from his people. And secondly, that God is the only one who can accomplish these things in the lives of the church. So he takes them before God because he knows, number one, God answers the prayers of his people. And number two, God's the only one that can accomplish the things in their lives that he's praying for for them. Okay, are you tracking? Does that make sense? Paul also seems to understand not just that prayer works, but that what a privilege it is to pray. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but prayer is actually a privilege. Prayer is a great privilege. It's a gift to us. The simple fact that because of the blood of Christ shed in our place for our sins makes us able to approach the throne of God when we actually deserve wrath is an incredible fact. We call it good news, right? The fact that that barrier of sin between us and God was taken care of by Jesus and we can approach the throne room directly like you don't have to go through a priest. If you want to talk to God, you don't have to come to my office and talk through me. You go straight to God. That's the gloriousness of the gospel that was symbolized in the veil being torn when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We don't often treat prayer, though, like the privilege that it is. Sometimes we treat it like an afterthought. Sometimes we treat it like an obligation. But we don't often treat prayer like the privilege it is. Now, Paul really prays two main things. Two, like if we were going to zoom out and kind of take two main things that Paul prays for the uh, Philippian church. He prays this. He prays that their love would abound more and more and their character would grow to completion in Christ Jesus. We should live wisely as Paul with our love being biblically informed and deeply affectionate and not based on mere sentimentality or emotionalism. He wasn't basing his affection on them and just like, ooh, I feel gooey feelings for you, so I'm going to pray for you. It was not that. It was based on being biblically informed, as one scholar says, and deeply affectionate. Our love for Christ and others must be based on our understanding of the Bible. It's why it's so key that we learn how to read and study and interpret the scriptures, which we've been doing, by the way, on Wednesday night, free plug. Um, It's important that we do that because being more informed by scripture, not just brain informed, okay, it's not what we're talking about, but heart informed by scripture will help us to properly and readily express love and love beyond some kind of emotionalism or sentimentality for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our love for Christ and others must be based on an understanding of God's word to us. And our worship, furthermore, our worship that we present to God should not be us lost in some kind of straight-up emotionalism, but based on our understanding of the truth of God in the Holy Scriptures. 
Again, the words Tony Meredith uses are, that I, I really like, are that we are to be biblically informed and deeply affectionate in our love for Christ and the church, or our partners in the gospel. Biblically informed and deeply affectionate. And you can be both, okay? We're going to talk about knowledge and discernment in a little bit. And it is possible to have both. The second thing that we find here is what Paul prays for. And the first thing, and I mentioned this earlier in summary, but Paul prays that their love would abound more and more. That their love would abound. Now, I think there's a couple of words we need to look at in this, in this verse, okay? So the first one is love, right? There are different words used for love uh, in the Greek New Testament based on what kind of love or what expression of love uh, is used. Here, the word used is agape, which we've talked about even recently. And the word agape involves putting others before oneself. Okay? Putting one's putting others before oneself. And last week, if you remember, we talked about the proper priorities were to live our life, Jesus first, others second, yourself last, right? And so here, with him using that word agape, okay, this is that, that, that love that is, um, it's unconditional, first of all, unconditional, but takes other people and puts them before you. And so that's the connection with his, kind of his through thought here in his greeting and talking about this prayer. And then the word abound. He wants their love to abound more and more. And I started, <coughs> excuse me, thinking about what does the word abound mean? And I found some interesting things. I looked it up. And the meaning behind the word that's used there for abound means to be in abundance. Yeah, no, duh, pastor. I, yeah, to abound means to be in abundance. But also to be more than enough or to be left over. Understand this. Paul wants their love to be more and more selfless, so much so more and more, that in essence, there would be leftovers. Like there'd be so much love, there'd be some leftover. Well, pastor, if you got another verse for that, I do. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. There's only one thing that we should owe one another, and that's the debt of love. And we should never stop paying it. We should pay it continually. And that's exactly what Paul prays for them. Let me illustrate this. In a little over three weeks, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. Okay? A little bit over three weeks. I know you're thinking, some of you just got immediately panicked. Okay? Because it's coming. You're like, I got to buy a turkey. Okay? You got a little bit of time. It's okay. Although I did hear that turkey prices have gone from like $12 to like over $20 for like a 12 to 14 pound bird. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. You didn't come for an economics lesson and I am 100% not the person you want to give you an economics lesson. All right. But anyway, in a little over three weeks, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving here in America. Canada already did theirs. Okay. I love that during this special holiday, what do we do? We gather with family, with friends. We eat amazing food, some of the best food of the whole year. And we watch football as we celebrate our thankfulness to God. What an amazing holiday. We get to be thankful to God and watch football and eat food, and no one complains about how much you're eating. It's great. You can wear stretchy pants all day. It's awesome. Now, where we gather for Thanksgiving, the food is always tasty and plentiful, and everyone gets enough to eat. And after everyone is stuffed, there's leftovers. Usually so much that aunts, uncles, cousins, anyone else who's there might be able to take a bag or a plate home with them. And then the next day, oh, turkey sandwiches, right? Turkeys. Is there anything better than a turkey sandwich the day after Thanksgiving? Oh my goodness. 
Oh, and leftover cornbread dressing. Now, you up north might not know about that, but my mom being from Mississippi made this cornbread dressing that is so good, it'll make your tongue slap your brains out. Okay? It's good. My point is, my point is that the food is overflowing. It's in abundance. There's leftovers. And that's what our abounding love should look like in our lives. It's in abundance so much that there's leftovers. The very point of love is that it keeps going. It doesn't end. We love to read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings. But that passage is not about marriage. That passage, that chapter, is not about marriage. It's about what our love should look like, what true love looks like. And in verse 8 of that passage, it says... Love never ends. Never. I've said before that a shocking exercise would be to go through that love chapter and ask if your love for individuals in your life measures up to that. That's what we're told love is. And Paul prays that their love as a church would abound more and more and stack up and have enough for everyone and have leftovers to send home with Aunt Betty and Grandma and abounding in love. That's what Paul wants for them. That's what God wants for them. And that's what God wants for us. But friends, we fail hard, don't we? We fail hard at that. And Jesus looks at us in our failure, and he tells us to trust him. See, he was perfect love personified in a way that we can never truly be. He lived that perfect, abounding, loving life in our place. He gave that perfect, loving life on the cross to pay for all of our sin, our sin of not loving people, our sin of putting ourselves in front of others. And he gave that life out of love for us. And when we place our faith in him alone for salvation, in his death and his resurrection, then we're given the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who enables us to grow in our love, our purity, and in our righteous living. Our God brings the growth, but it doesn't happen if you don't know Jesus. I saw someone post something today. I didn't even plan on including this in the message, but it's, a guy I grew up with, and he posted this thing that, on Facebook today. It was like, all religions are stupid and for people who just want control. And what's really important is you just got to love everybody. They all, all the religions basically just teach you got to love everybody. Well, first of all, okay, there's obvious fallacy there with that statement, okay? He's obviously wrong with some of that. But here's the thing. Like, I know Jesus... And it's hard sometimes for me to love people who are hard to love. If I didn't have Jesus, I couldn't muster enough warm, gushy feelings about you to love you. Not the way that the Bible speaks of love. That's just, that's just not. And so without knowing Jesus, first and foremost, this abounding love is not really possible for you. And, and that's what, so Paul is praying this for them. He's like, you know Jesus, and I'm praying that your love would abound more and more and that you would grow more and more in your, excuse me, in your love through Jesus Christ. So what does he pray? So he, if, you, if you go back to the focal passage there in verse 9, he says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. But then there's a, there's a comma, <laughs> And it says, with knowledge and all discernment. So I want to look at that first. I want to break that apart. The first thing I want to look at is, he says he wants their love to grow more and more with knowledge. With knowledge. Well, what are we talking about here? Well, the subject of the mind is important in the book of Philippians. Okay, you're going to hear about the mind as we walk through Philippians, but it's it's not referring to some kind of cold intellectualism. Paul wants them as a church to have unity and humility together, being of one mind with each other. And later in the book, he will speak 
to having the mind of Christ. This is experiential knowledge, and it's acquired through acts of love. Actually, through the love that abounds. When we love each other and our love abounds, there is, it comes from, as I said earlier, it comes from being biblically informed, so not just intellectually knowledgeable, but heart knowledgeable and experientially knowledgeable, right? Deeply affectionate as well. Again, we tend to look at knowledge and knowing more, and we tend to make it this cold, separate thing. And they're like, well, I don't, I'm not worried about the intellectual mind stuff. I'm worried about the heart stuff. You gotta have, it's gotta be both. It's gotta be both. So he says with, he wants their love to abound with knowledge and also with discernment, with discernment. Now, some of your translations may have translated that word from discernment. They may have translated a little bit differently. But what we're talking about here in discernment is the ability to make decisions for the benefit of others. Able to discern and, and have the ability to make the right decision for the benefit of others. To, to be able to perceive and understand, to discern what the right thing is here. To, to perceive it, to understand it. This is the informed love. This is a moral sensitivity. Richard Mellick Jr. states that uh, love enriched by knowledge and moral discernment leads believers to experience what really matters. Now, that's kind of a big sentence there, but let me say it again. Love enriched by knowledge and moral discernment leads believers to experience what really matters. Well, if our love is growing in knowledge and discernment, what Paul prays there, and it's, in, it's enriched by that knowledge, we have, more, we have the more knowledge, the more we love. That's what it, why it's good for us to grow in knowledge, because it will help us love more, not help us feel more or, you know, superior or smarter than, you know, be Mr. Smarty Pants or whatever. But knowledge... And moral discernment, knowing what the right choice is, what the thing is, that to, the, the right decision that will put someone before themselves. And that, that, through that, we'll experience what really matters, which is what Paul's praying for them. To be abounding in love and ready for the day of Jesus Christ. It's pretty incredible. Uh, Tony Merida, it's, I've got kind of a long quote from him. I was going to reword it, but I'm just going to read you what he says because he's smarter than I am. He says this. Merida writes, Unfortunately, we, many Christians never pursue wisdom and knowledge, and consequently they make terrible choices and even follow false teachers who prey on gullible, emotion-driven people. Others affirm sound doctrine but have no genuine affection for Christ and others. These two problems are reflected in the churches of Ephesus and Thyatira in the book of Revelation. Ephesus was doctrinally sound, but it lost its first love. Thyatira had love, but they lacked discernment and they tolerated heresy. We must avoid these extremes as we grow in our pursuit of both knowledge and affection. There's ditches on both sides we could fall into. One reason I really love this prayer, he says, is it underscores the dual need for affection and biblical knowledge and discernment. See, we as, as humans, we tend to err on one side or other on almost everything, right? Don't we? we? We immediately jump to extremes. I don't know how many people I've seen who were, um, they, were uh, they were old, um, I mean, I have friends, parents who were old hippies, right? They were kind of burnt out in the 60s a little bit. And they came to Christ through the Jesus movement. Some of you guys know the Jesus movement, Jesus people. And they came to Christ, and they went from being this super liberal 60s, like drugs and parties and all that, uh, to being like super tight legalistic. Because we tend to, to swing on extremes, right? And I, we see it all the time. And I'm just using that and only to say that I see those examples that we tend to like, oh, well, we, we are like, oh, we need knowledge. Oh, we need affection. And it's like, we, we actually, we need both and discernment. And discernment will actually help us understand when we're erring one way or the other as well. 
Now, why would Paul pray this? And if you're in the Wednesday night class, there's one of those linking phrases, linking words that we talked about that are going to pop up right here. Because when you ask the question, why, why would Paul pray this for them? Why is he, why is he writing this? So that, that writing it's to them, but also for us, that we would, that we would see this. Verse 10 starts with it. So that. And when you see that, he's saying what he says in verse 9, I'm doing this, praying this, so that. So why is he praying this for them? So that they may approve what is excellent. So they may approve what is excellent. Now, when that word excellent, because like if I'm supposed to be approving of it, I want to find out what it is, right? What is excellent? So that word that's used there uh, can mean this, to be worth more than or having worth or greater quality or value or superior. He wants their love to grow with knowledge and discernment so that they can give approval to that which is of superior value to anything else. What is of superior value to anything else? Jesus. Jesus, the kingdom. The kingdom of God. So they want him, so that they may approve of what is excellent. That's not just speaking, so I'm not saying that's just speaking of Jesus or just speaking of, uh, of the kingdom. But they want, but he specifically wants them to be able to approve by discerning, by knowledge of what is superior, what is best, what is excellent. And that leads them, because they know Jesus, what is best is that which advances the kingdom that which they are partnering in, that which they serve in, in the kingdom. And he goes on. He goes on in verse 10. And he says, so that you may approve what is excellent. Then there's a comma. And he says, and so, okay, so approving in what of excellent, so be Pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, a couple of uh, sort of cross-reference verses I want to go to to show you some linking throughout the New Testament here. In Acts 24, 16, he says this, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. We're talking about being pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And then you skip a few more verses down in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we need to understand is that it is the work of Jesus Christ that presents the church holy and blameless. Without the work of Christ on the cross, his resurrection, then we can't be presented uh, holy and blameless. You know, some years ago, there was a study done at one of the agricultural schools in Iowa, and it was reported that production of 100 bushels of corn from one acre of land required 4 million pounds of water, 6 1,800 pounds of oxygen, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 75 pounds of yellow sulfur, and other elements too numerous to list. Now, in addition to these ingredients are required rain and sunshine at the right times. Now, although many hours of the farmer's labor are also needed, it was estimated that only 5% of the produce of a farm can be contributed or can be attributed to the efforts of man. Five percent of the produce of a farm can be attributed to the efforts of the farmer, of man. 
so it is in the spiritual realms. God causes the growth. God does the work and presents the church. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7 agrees with that. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So yeah, there are workers, us, who water, who plant, who plant the seed, who water the seed, who take care of it. But God does the growing. Now, that should be really exciting for you and really exciting for me. So our responsibility is to scatter the seed, is to spread the seed, water the seed. But we don't have to, like, the growth of that is not on us. We just have to be obedient to what God has called us to do. And he, we need to trust him to take care of the growth. I can't make you grow in your love for one another. I can't make you grow in your love for God. I can't make you grow spiritually. I can scatter the seed. I can preach the word. I can teach you how to do it. But I can't make you do it. Only God can grow you. And if you have an unwilling heart, an unwilling spirit, and you resist him, that's not going to go well for you. Paul sees his ministry as sharing in this work. And he sees himself as presenting the church to Christ. Paul participates in this work through prayer. And he does so that it will be complete on the day of Jesus Christ, the final day. He wants the church in Philippi to aspire to this purity and blamelessness. He does not want them to live, as one author called, a half-hearted faith. He wants them to live a pure life of personal integrity. I told students, I I preached at chapel uh, at... uh, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, Chapel Out of Faith. I did both chapels. I'm doing both this Friday also. And, um, and I told the students that uh, reputation is who people think you are or who people say you are. Character is who you are when no one else is around. It's who God knows you are. So he doesn't want them to live a half-hearted faith. He wants them to live a radical, completely sold out to Christ's way of love, empowered by the Holy Spirit, life of personal integrity and blamelessness. Blamelessness is good character that survives all accusations. Blamelessness is when someone makes an accusation against you of something, it doesn't stand because your character is so solid. He wants them to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And secondly, filled with the fruit of righteousness in the presence. Excuse me, in the present. See, presents, I already jumped to Christmas. Anyway. Filled with the fruit of righteousness in the present. Verse 11. He goes on. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So I got to thinking as I was preparing, well... If we're supposed to have the fruit of righteousness in our lives, we better figure out what the fruit of righteousness is. What's it talking about, right? Uh, If I'm supposed to have this, it's supposed to be growing in my life, what is this? Well, I was studying, and, and a good way to understand this is to say the fruit of righteousness, first of all, is the natural result of belonging to Jesus Christ. It's something the Spirit begins to grow in you as the natural result of you trusting in Jesus Christ and having the Spirit live in you. The fruit of righteousness comes only through Jesus Christ. And what is being suggested here, so, you know, we talk about righteousness and there's that, uh, that righteousness we get through justification, right? And there's also this righteousness that is godly action. And what I'm talking about here more is the godly action, though, yes, we get righteousness through through the atonement, through justification. But we're talking about a godly action being the natural results of belonging to Christ. This is the fruit of righteousness can be thought of as the character of God shining through us. 
It makes us more like Jesus. See, from the time you come to know Christ, when you surrender to him and you trust in the good news of the gospel, you repent of your sins. There's a, there's a marker in your life where you go from uh, death to life, right? And where you become a follower of Jesus, what we call a Christian, okay? A Jesus follower. And from that point on, you start on this like growth plane, right? Where you continually grow. We call that a process called sanctification, okay? And you grow and you continually grow uh, until you die, okay? Boom, and then, and then you're in eternity, right? And you should be continually growing and becoming more and more like Jesus, having more and more of the character of God shining out through you. Now remember, Paul has prayed for them to have love that abounds more and more with knowledge and discernment so that they'd be blameless, or excuse me, pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that they'd be ready for the final day, the day Jesus returns. Our love should abound in all these things because Jesus is dead. And if the character of God is shining through with us, we should be becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection bring righteousness to all who believe the gospel and trust in him alone for salvation. And when we talk about the fruit, the character of God, the fruit that is produced in followers of Christ, we have to look no farther than Galatians 5, through 23, another of Paul's letters. And it says, but the fruit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul, what Paul would pray for the church in Philippi is the same thing that God wants from us as the church in Dixon, at Hope Bible Fellowship, that our love would abound more and more, that it would abound more and more with knowledge of God and discernment that would lead to purity and blamelessness that we would be more like Jesus. And when the church is living life and exhibiting more of the fruit of the Spirit, it is a powerful witness to a community that is watching. There's not too many times where the community kind of comes in mass in front of the church, but tonight they're going to be out here. And we're going to have an opportunity to express an abundance of love for our community. And so I just want to challenge you to be a part of that if, if you haven't uh, already committed to it. I, I would challenge you to be here for that. But this brings us to kind of where we go from here. Because when we hear a message like this, we've got to respond, and we will respond in some way. All of this Paul prays for them in view of the return of Christ. That at the end... When there's, no more, um, when there's no more sin, when there's no more uh, chances, when everything's said and done and it's boom, the stake in the ground, it's over, it's the end. Jesus is back and we're held to account that he wants them to be presented pure and blameless, that he wants them to be presented and, and they're righteous through, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. So I have five sort of challenges I want to make for you, or to you. And as I do that, I'm going to ask if our musicians will come back up and get ready to do the last song. But my challenges are this, and you may want to write these down in your notes. Number one, excuse me, Paul's prayer is an example of how we can pray for our gospel partners, which is each other. So the things Paul prays for um, though it's not in there just to be an example, okay? That's not, why it, that's not why this passage is there, just to be an example. But we can take an example from it. That we should pray for one another the things that Paul prays. That we should fall on our face before God for one another. Number two, Paul's prayer for the church 
is also God's desire for our church. And so the question that I got to ask is, do you desire those same things for our church and for one another? In your heart of hearts, do you think, yes, that is what I want for me and that is what I want for the other members here at Hope? Number three, if you've not done so, acknowledge the gospel, that Jesus fulfilled the law, that he lived the life that we couldn't and died in our place, and to trust him to grow you. Some of you know Jesus, but you haven't fully trusted that he's going to grow you, and you've fallen back on yourself trying to like do all, do all the growing yourself, and you're like, it isn't working. <clears throat> trust him to grow you in love with knowledge and discernment as you seek and soak, marinate in his word. Number four challenge this morning is commit to this church. Commit to our partnership in the gospel. AJ talked about a membership class that we have in a couple of weeks. We'd love to have you come and explore that. It's not, you go through the membership class, um, that's not a 100% guarantee of it's membership. We're going to talk about what it is. We're going to hear your testimony. I'm going to talk to you, make sure you understand what it is, because you may decide after you go through membership class, you don't want to partner with us. Okay. But if you haven't decided that, if you haven't decided whether or not you want to partner with the church, make that decision today. Say, yeah, I want to be a part of this church. I want to partner with them in ministry and, and come learn what, what we're about. Most of you have been here a while. You already know kind of what we're about. You've already made those decisions. Um, but I just want to invite anyone who's watching online, um, you're welcome to come and attend the membership class as well. Number five, when Jesus does things in your life to grow you to be more like him, I want to give you this challenge. Don't fight it. Don't fight him. It's tempting to bow up your back and resist it. But I want to show you something, and, and again, this is a, it's not on the slides or anything, because it was kind of a little last-minute edition, but in John 11, John 11, there's this really cool thing that happens. I just saw this this week as I was in my daily Bible time. Uh, it says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the, scissors, so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, it he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. If you kind of skip ahead, the disciples are talking to him. He still hasn't gone yet. He says, after saying these things, beginning in verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he delayed two more days in going to them. Now you would think, oh, my friend's sick, I'm going to, I got to get there, right? He delayed in coming because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So he, he let him die because he loved them? Yep, that's what I'm saying. What they saw as a delay, he was using to reveal more about himself to them and to grow their faith. And I read that second part because it wasn't just Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He was, he was growing faith. He was growing faith in his disciples. Because what they saw as a delay, what they probably saw maybe as him, hey, we're kind of waiting long if he's sick, you know. 
might want to hurt you. What they maybe saw is that was his plan to grow them. So when stuff happens and you feel like you're not growing quite the way you want, but, but Jesus is doing some stuff in your life that's really, uh, you feel, you're, just, you're going through some stuff and it's really hard and it's really struggling. There's a temptation to fight back against him and say, you know what, I'm, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna be in the Bible today. I'm not gonna pray today. I'm not gonna go to church today. I'm not gonna, because I got all this stuff going on. But I, my challenge to you is instead of doing that, instead of fighting against him when he's doing something in your life to grow, you trust him, trust his plan. When it's hard, cling to Jesus for life. Because he will show his glory. That doesn't mean it's going to work out the way you want it to. But he will be glorified and he will grow you in the struggle. Would you stand up with me, please? I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then we're going to sing a final song. And if any of those challenge items I gave out there at the end, if, if any of those, you, you heard them and you thought, yeah, that's... That's where I feel like God has me this morning. Then I would just invite you to just surrender that to him this morning. And if there's something in there that you're like, I I need to dig deeper on this and you want to talk about it, I'll be around afterwards. Say, hey, we need to get together and talk and we'll set something up. Um, But don't, don't leave today and not understand that God's working things in your life to grow you closer to him if you're his child and and just trust him in that and sometimes because look the last two years have been difficult for everybody right real hard and don't lose out on an opportunity when we have to instead of falling away from him to fall into him let's pray God thank you so much for this day I thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, these letters that we have from Paul, uh, inspired by you, breathed out by you, God, that show us what you want for us, what you want for the church. Help us to trust you more and more. And God, as we hear these things and we start to dive deeply in our minds and our hearts into your word, I pray you would help us to understand and obey and that you would grow our love more and more, that it would abound, that there would be leftovers, that it wouldn't all be about knowledge, that it wouldn't all be about emotion, but it would be about deep affection because we understand the truth of the gospel and it drives us more and more to you and towards one another as the family of God. Help us be faithful. Help us to trust you when we feel like you're delaying, when things aren't happening the way we want them to happen. God, help us trust you. Hold us tight in those times, Jesus. Help us cling to you for life. In Jesus' name I pray.